I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Manola Theatre acknowledges the traditional custodians on the land on which we meet, gather and make art, the Yagara and Turrbal people, and we acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back. This is now our third bonus episode of Forgotten, which is being delivered to your ears as a five-part audio drama every fortnight via your favourite podcasting app. You're here with Kat Decker and Bianca Butler-Reynolds. Oh, sorry, say your own name. My name is Bianca Butler-Reynolds. You got it correct, Kat. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we are uh, the team behind Manola Theatre. That's right. Uh, So if you're joining us uh, on this third bonus episode, if we've done our maths right, you have uh, last week met Clea, who's the third generation working backwards in our begotten family. Uh, Hopefully you're enjoying the story so far. We are going further and further back into history and we'll be meeting two more generations in the coming weeks. But yeah, we just thought we would pause this week and talk a little bit about writing process and some of the thoughts that went into it. So as always, we'll give the little disclaimer while we talk about the process and the characters. Uh, there may be some slight hints about things you haven't heard yet, but we will try and avoid spoilers for you. Wonderful. Um, and if you haven't yet listened, we have done two bonus episodes already as part of releasing Begotten into the world. Um, we had a chat uh, in our first session about um, what it was like to translate a work that we thought we would present uh, in a physical theatre space into an audio fiction. And then we had a wonderful chat with Siobhan Al, um, sound editor and designer, about um, uh, how it was to come on board with a bunch of um, technical newbies. Uh, so today we're switching up the format a little bit and I will be interviewing Bianca. Um, uh, she is the writer and actor behind Begotten. You will have heard her voice in three different um, ways already. Um, and so I have some some questions for you today, Bea. Oh dear, I wish I was prepared. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Go for it, Kat. Um, tell, tell us about yourself as a writer, your history as a writer, how you um, came to this as one of your many diverse skills. Um, yeah, so I was always interested in storytelling from when I was very young. Uh, when I finished school uh, and did my undergrad degree, I did the uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Creative Writing at QUT, um, which was a wonderful uh, training ground for my writing skills generally. It didn't really emphasise playwriting, so um, it took me a while after I I had graduated to work out that that was sort of the area that I wanted to specialize in and then I sort of built upon the premise of training that I'd had with some vocational courses with uh, Play Lab and the Avon Foundation in the UK got to actually get mentored by Simon Stevens which was amazing 
I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, I was one degree of separation away from Fleabag's hot priest and I didn't <laughs> know it at the time. I mean, oh, Andrew Scott, what a legend. What a legend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've since gone back to uni and done uh, honours degree and then a PhD in playwriting, um, having worked out that that was the area that I was most interested in. And uh, for, oh gosh, about eight years now, no, 10 years, uh, I've been actively writing plays and um, more recently bringing those to production which is one of the wonderful things about Manola Theatre is having my own production company to work with some of the text. Excellent and so um, you and I have worked together on two of your plays so far uh, and in in both of them I would say uh, the characters you create have a very strong and, and diverse voices from one, one another particularly in be- gotten because it is uh, written for a single performer Mm. Um, there was a need to uh, really create strong distinctions between the five characters um, and make sure that their voices uh, yeah were were unique Um, Mm. what's that process like and have you always found it easy to create diverse voices or has that been a challenge for you in the past I think it's something that I've gotten distinctly better at in recent years. Um, And part of that actually comes down to my postgrad studies. So although I was doing playwriting, I came at it through the lens of Jungian and post-Jungian psychology. Um, What's that mean? uh, So that is the the school of psychology that was born by uh, Carl Jung, uh, who's a Swiss psychoanalyst. He was the protege of Sigmund Freud um, for several productive years and then they had a massive falling out and uh, Freud went on to be the father of psychoanalysis and Jung started analytical psychology which is a related but distinct field Uh, and some of his contributions were around the collective unconscious and the existence of archetypes as well as individuation theory and a few other fascinating little tidbits so uh, when I was doing my PhD I was looking at kind of psychological principles from Jung and others working in his wake I guess uh, passed through the lens of drama and how we communicate ideas about human development through a medium like theatre. And so how does that translate into finding these voices for characters as a writer and as an actor I suppose? Yeah, for sure. So as I said, um, archetypal theory is a Jungian thing. Um, so if you're not familiar with archetypes, they're basically uh, Jung's position was that there are these universal, timeless experiences and figures that exist for all people, regardless of when or where they live. And the way that we individually experience uh, something general like you know birth or death or a figure like a, a mother or a mentor or a monster your individual manifestation of that will be coloured by your life experience and your your time and place and culture. Um, But it's also this idea that all of us as human beings contain all the archetypes within ourselves. So we are potentially all a a child and a monster and a mother and a warrior and a mystic and an artist and a scholar or all of these different things and we are more in touch with some some archetypes than others just because of our natural interests or the way that we have been socialized to be in the world but as an artist it's incredibly fascinating to dig deep and find these other potential selves that you don't usually dialogue with and try and lend them a voice Uh, And that has directly informed my writing recently, especially with a project like Begotten, where I had to find these five women who were all me in different ways. Hey, Bianca, quick side note. 
if someone's listening and goes, I love that idea of archetypal theory. How do I learn more about that in a creative way? What would you tell them? Well, Kat, I would tell them that um, we have recently branched out from just being a production company. Uh, Manola is now running workshops. Hooray. Um, and the sort of the prototype or, or what may become our flagship workshop uh, as a brand is specifically on accessing your archetypes. Uh, so teaching uh, writers and performers and we're hoping to move into the general community as well uh, facilitating a creative space in which they can get in touch with some of those different versions of themselves and bring them to life on the page or the stage and if you want to find out more about our workshops um, that information will be on our website manolatheatre.com.au or our social media as well. Thanks for that plug, Bianca. Awesome. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Um, But I want to know about um, archetypes as they relate to begotten. Can you talk a little more about how... um uh, how you use that theory in in uh, getting in touch with these five women. Mm, for sure. So I think that, um, as I was saying, we have these potential versions of ourselves and some of them we take out into the world comfortably on a regular basis that sort of form part of our persona and how people generally experience us as people or expect us to behave. And so um, with something like Begotten, I'm actually giving myself permission as a writer to lend a voice to the characters who I don't get to behave like usually. Um, We've talked a little bit in our bonus episodes about the previous play that we worked on of Mine, Love You, Hate You, Drive You Wild. And um, the character of Molly, who's the protagonist in that, is, I would say, very much like me in terms of how most people would know me. They would think that I'm sort of polite and nervous and um, try not to offend anybody, which is very much Molly. But then she's offset by Annika, who the wonderful Siobhan Finnis played on stage opposite me. And Annika is is crass and unfiltered and wild and wonderful and I think I didn't fully realise this at the time when I started writing, but Annika is also me. Yeah. You know, she she's the inner monologue that I have but don't express. So she's me unfiltered. And so I think that was an early example of what I then had to do in a more prismatic form with Begotten, which is find these different ways of responding to the world, um, different attitudes. So how much of your own voice do you bring to your characters? Can can uh, a student look at a Bianca Butler-Reynolds play and psychoanalyze you? Oh, dear God. Um, <laughs> I hope not. No, they, they probably can. I mean, it's interesting you say that about psychoanalyzing a writer through their text because if we go back to Freud and Jung for a second, Freud was all about psychoanalyzing uh, writers through their work and Jung was actively against it. Ah, um, where so, do you sit? Oh, gosh. Um I would like to stick with my Jungian orientation and say a writer is separate from their work, but it would be disingenuous to say in my case that nothing of myself gets into my characters because it absolutely does. I think honestly writing and art is therapy for me and probably for a lot of people and so I work out my own issues on the page by letting my characters live out the experiences I desire or am afraid of or (laughs) somewhere in between. For listeners who are following along with Begotten and might be interested to get a little glimpse uh, of um, of you as as the writer, can you? Is there anything you want to share about the characters uh, we have or haven't met yet, the, and how they resonate with you? Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, so if we start with Alice, I would say Alice is me at my most kind of cynical millennial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's sort of the person who has a tough facade it is quite fragile but 
lives in a tough world and has built a world uh, a wall rather around herself to cope with that and I think that's something that myself and a lot of sensitive people can relate to is the need to self-protect and that often comes out in cynicism we then go to Eileen um, Alice's mother who is in many ways quite clinically insane and while I like to think I'm I'm on the right side of sanity compared to Eileen um, I've absolutely had my own struggles with uh, mental illness and um, feeling at times very fragile and and very stressed and so there's a little part of my brain that um, I had to lean into for Eileen which is if all of those fears manifested and I didn't check them where could I go and it's it's a strange and curly place yeah for sure Um, then if we go to Clea the generation before that I think Clea is where all of my anger about injustices in the world sit I I think um, I, I like to think of myself as a pretty polite and and chill person but that doesn't mean I I don't experience anger when um, things that are objectively wrong happen and clear was a way for me to voice all of the the frustration uh, and she sort of acts on that in a way that I don't give myself license to as a person but she feels what I feel yeah now the final two women our listeners haven't met yet mm. um hazel and alicia uh in the most spoiler free way possible <laughs> do you want to um mention any um any resonance with them yeah sure so hazel um who's our world war ii era character i think what i would say about hazel is she is in some ways aspirational for me um <laughs> she sort of holds her own power in a lovely way and especially in the earlier part of her story when she's sort of young and beautiful and vibrant and um i I really admire women who are able to hold that about themselves. But when the world is harsh to her through the course of her story, she turns on herself for having been that way and becomes very self-critical. And that's definitely a feeling I can relate to, that the self-judging thing comes through. Um, Yeah, can't we all? (laughs) As for Leisha, Leisha is also aspirational in a way. Um, She's so embodied you know she she's such a creature of instinct and so much a child of her time and place and loves the land and and is in her body and is in relationship with those around her and um she in many ways at least by modern standards lacks scruples and makes some questionable decisions but she's so incredibly authentic and I really love that about her she sort of speaks to my um connection to my cultural ancestry and my desire to myself connect with with land and instinct and body and so uh leisha i I don't think it's a spoiler to say that leisha's story is set in ireland and and that's another point of connection for you absolutely yeah um i've always felt a connection to ireland very deeply that i couldn't always justify and then the day i got my ancestry dna results and it said i was more than 50 percent irish i felt so incredibly vindicated and and happy and i've uh very much desired to go back and and walk my ancestral homelands but coronavirus made that hard to do this year so I am still hoping to get back and do a bit of a pilgrimage there. Fantastic oh well thanks for letting me ask you questions today V. Um, uh, we're about to play a little clip from um, the the fourth woman you will meet Hazel um, uh, and if you are interested in um, uh, having your own copy of Begotten uh, to listen to it in full, um, you can head to manolatheatre.com.au and download a copy. That's also where you would be able to financially support us as an independent company. Um, if you would like to uh, throw some dollars our way to uh, help us uh, make more projects like Begotten. 
Absolutely. Uh, and thank you so much, listeners, for uh, going with us through this journey. Hopefully, all these insights into the making of the show are as interesting as the show itself. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so join us next Thursday for Hazel's story, and then we'll be back with another bonus episode the week after that. Thanks. Thank you. It was the green skirt that he first commented on. Daniel, with his lanky build, his jutting chin, his curly ginger hair, and the cocky little grin that only affected one side of his mouth. I'd draped myself on the bench like a pathetic preening wallflower, splaying the green skirt out as wide as it would go, crossing my knees and ensuring my right foot fell at the daintiest angle. He sidled over with his hands dug in his pockets and asked me to dance. I pulled the face I'd practised, one so full of surprise as if the thought of being asked had never occurred to me, when of course it was all I had thought about since I arrived. I feigned shyness just enough to make him insist, and when he led me to the centre of the floor, I felt the electric shock of his hand on the small of my back. He was strong, despite being thin. All the hours spent lifting scrap in the yard, I supposed. We danced to Glen Miller, and instead of thinking about the grey-blue eyes that were staring into mine with such intent, I thought about my parents, and how horrified they'd be when I brought Daniel home. How they'd look at the calluses on his palms, and the muck on his overalls, even when he stood so politely with his cap in his hands, and me on his arm. Preposterous, my father would call it, and my mother would go upstairs to cry. He'd be forbidden fruit, and I would delight in it. I don't believe in coincidences. How much shit can happen on one street? One little insignificant street. Quiet, suburban, nothing shady until a year ago, and now two families are destroyed. A disappearance and a death exactly one year apart, and they live next door to each other? Something strange was going on on Hazel Street. And I was going to find out. Golden Ash. An episodic crime drama. From That's Not Canon Productions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.